0: If you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 through 27 is where uh, the the bulk of our message is going to come from this afternoon. Uh, been recently thinking a little bit about sports. Uh, not too long ago watched the uh, implosion maybe of the Kentucky football team as they faced off against Louisville and, and really struggled to, I don't know, look like a football team during that game, um, SEC tournament is, is, is just finished, the NCAA tournament is about to begin uh, for, for college football and some of these thoughts have been running through my mind during this time about athletes and about the work that goes into to being an athlete and and Paul used some of these same Uh, allegories to, to show a message about the Christian. And that's what I want to look at this afternoon in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight not as one who bites the air, uh, beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul alludes to these ancient Grecian games, the the beginnings of what would eventually become uh, what we formally call or typically call the Olympics. Uh, He refers to some of these things that they would have done, these sporting events they participated in, running in a race, fighting as a boxer, competing for prizes, and he observes three principles during this, as he looks at these things, that are common to both athletes and are common to Christians as well. That is the need for motivation, the need for self-control, and the need for exercise, these things are necessary to obtain the prize, Paul says. And he uses a Greek word there that translated obtain. This word, katalambano, it means to apprehend, to, to attain, to find. And so we see uh, one, one scholar says there was an allusion to the public games that, that had these, this desire to obtain the prize and to eagerly strive with strenuous exertion to grasp or to seize it. So whether one is an athlete or whether one is a Christian, there are these three necessary things needed to obtain the prize. The first one was motivation. We see the importance of motivation. In the life of an athlete, the proper motivation is necessary in which to win. And there are different motives which cause different people to to run different races. Uh, some people run so as to win, they have their eyes set on that, that gold prize, the, the, the gold medal or the, the first place stand in the Olympics, the, the first place podium. Uh, and others maybe run for different reasons. We, we have a close friend of ours who's been doing a lot of running lately and has lost a lot of weight and, and she's running for health reasons and that's been, it's been motivational to us. But really, for those people that run for, for maybe for health or run for their wellness They're not necessarily looking to win the race. They're looking to just continue in the race. So those that want to win it, those who want to obtain that prize, that's where their eyes are focused on. They're focused on the end of that race and on what is waiting for them at the end. And that's what Paul talks about in the latter part of verse 25. He says they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Certainly it is one that is going to go the way of every other if it, if it's precious metal, it'll go the way of all other metal. It'll eventually corrode. It'll eventually uh, d- d- be be disintegrated or, or whatever happens to these things in, over due course of time. Uh, but but even if it's if it's uh, my my face on the Wheaties box or or uh, my place in a, in a hall of fame, eventually these things fade. Eventually they are gone. But what they do represent is they represent fame and they represent glory in this present age, and that motivates the athlete to excel, to reach out and to strive for that. In the life of a Christian, we see the same thing is true, that proper motivation is necessary to win. And different motivations can make a big difference. Some Christians, they they are motivated to please their conscience, or maybe to please others. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do these things because if I don't, well, I feel kind of bad about myself, or or maybe more often than not, if I don't, mom and dad or or my wife or my husband or somebody's gonna be mad at me if I don't do these things, and so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing the things that I, uh, that they they say or I feel like I should do. Some uh, sometimes they uh, Christians are motivated because of some present blessing in their life. There's a peace of mind, or there's the fellowship of the saints. There is joy, and so those are the things that motivate me to keep going in, in this manner. And, and, and not, to, not to say that all of those motivations are wrong. Certainly nothing wrong with, with doing what is right and, and enjoying the peace that comes from that and the fellowship or enjoying the, the, the relationships that we have with our, our close loved ones who, who are eager and, uh, urging us on to continue in that walk. Uh, But but oftentimes these motives, they have their place in the life of a Christian. But the success of of a Christian is motivated by when they see what lies at the end of the race. When they have their eyes focused on the goal at the end. They're running for, as Paul says, an imperishable crown. One that will not waste away. One that will not rot. One that will not fade. A crown of righteousness. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about it there as well. He says in verse, in verse 7 and, and in verse 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And you know, Paul wasn't the only one that thought about this in this way. This wasn't just one of these, oh, that's a, that's a Pauline type thing to say, because Peter also spoke like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 3, Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter was saying, I'm looking at that too. I'm looking to that inheritance that's not corruptible, that can't be taken away. He also said in 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, verse 13, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven, new uh, excuse me, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and without blemish. He Peter also understood the importance of looking ahead, seeing beyond what was going on in this present life, and looking ahead to those things that are in the future. Those things that motivate and draw us. To to continue to run this race. And I'll tell you, Peter and Paul, they were great examples of this, but so was Jesus. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 12 that it was the, the, the many things that Jesus endured the shame and the cross and, and the humiliation, and even, even leaving heaven and becoming man. All of this happened because of the joy that was set before him. He was looking ahead as well. He saw the prize of the, uh, of, through obedience to God. And allowed that to motivate him in his life. So what motivates you? What is your motivation as a Christian? Running the race of faith. Is it obtaining the prize at the end? Is it it grasping? Is it it seizing up that that glory that it waits for us? If so, then we need to take note that if if that is our motivation, coming along with it is a great importance of self-control. Paul called it it temperance. He said in verse 25, there to be temperate, in all things. The, the idea of temperance or self-control uh, is, is this idea of, uh, of, being, uh, of taking things that, that we might desire, things that we might struggle with, and being able to have a, a discipline over those or a willpower over those. And for athletes, this is certainly a, a huge deal. There's a lot of things they have to be in control of. They must certainly be have a self-control over their diet. And if you Watch some of the, uh, the the ways that these athletes eat, and some of them eat meals that are very impressive. I remember watching a thing on Michael Phelps, uh, the swimmer, and how he he ate and and his his meals. His breakfast meal was the size of my whole week. It was huge. He had he had chickens and 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 fruits and all this stuff. Eggs after eggs after eggs. And, But he ate very specific things because he knew, his trainers knew these were things that were good for his body. And because of the amount of exercise he was putting in, he had to eat all these calories. But he had to have a lot of control. He couldn't take that big meal and go, "Ah, you know what, well, I'll just have a couple donuts instead. I think I might just go down to McDonald's and have a biscuit and gravy. I think I'll do that instead. No, he went, No. These are the things that my body needs. I'm going to have control over this. They have to have control over the amount of sleep that they get. They can't just stay up all night partying and wake up the next morning expecting to be able to go and do what they've trained to do with any sort of uh, regularity, any, any sort of accomplishment. They have to follow schedules. They set up schedules. This is time that I'm going to be training. I'm not going to do something else during that time. And you know what? That even means that it's going to cost them something sometimes. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody on... I don't know some some great coast uh, uh, athlete or or celebrity. They got a they got a party and, and and I really want to go to that party. But you know what? I'm training for the Olympics. I don't have time for those parties. I have to focus on what I'm training for. It's going to cost them something. And that self control means that they are in control when it comes to the the thing that they have set their motivation on. They are controlling everything in their lives that that could de- deviate them away from that and could could damage the motivation that they have. Self-control means doing it even when you don't feel like doing it. I'm reminded of a quote that I read by, by Mia Hamm. She's a little bit out of the, the public eye now, but for a while Mia Hamm was this amazing soccer player for the women's uh, American soccer team, and she even was a gold medalist in the Olympics. And she was quoted one time talking about her, her training. She said, I am building a fire, and every day I train. Not just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit when I feel like it. That's the way I like to train. That's how I want to exercise. Just when I feel good, I'll go to the gym. No, I build a fire, and every day I train. I add more fuel, and at just the right moment, I light the match. I imagine that that there was times in her life, probably going all the way back to when she was in, in grade school, that she was getting up, and she was taking that soccer ball, and she was picking a spot on the wall, and she was kicking it. And she was hitting that spot every time, and she would probably do that thousands of times, kicking that ball around. You know, the same thing is true in the life of a Christian. Self-control is just as necessary. Paul said in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body to bring it into subjection. Self-control is necessary. It is necessary in overcoming the works of the flesh. Look over what Paul said to the the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, look in verse 19 through 24. He says there, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is going to tell them there is something necessary to overcoming these things. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And included in that fruit of the Spirit amongst love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness is self-control. These things, this thing is needed. Self-control is necessary for the Christian so that they might walk in the Spirit. They might walk upright before the Lord. In verse 16, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says that they might not fulfill the lust. Of the flesh, and in Romans chapter eight verse eleven, he also talks about this. Romans uh, eight verse eleven: this this indwelling of the Spirit, which helps the the, the, the Christian, aids the Christian in this way. For uh, Romans 8, 11 through, through thirteen, <clears throat> it says, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul told the, the, the Romans, he told the, the Galatians, that there is something needed for the Christian to, to not be one who is given in to these lusts of the flesh and all of these things that he mentioned. He says what you need is you need to be led by the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. And what does that mean? Does that mean that we're filled with some sort of mystical power that, that just urges us and pulls us towards what is right? No, it means we are filled with the truth that the Spirit, that the Spirit teaches us, teaches us through His Word. We're filled with His, with His peace. We're filled with His joy. We're filled with His kindness. All of these things that we find in the fruit of the Spirit, and th- those things aid us. And and so certainly, self control is a part of that spirit which leads us closer to God. But the aid of the Spirit, however, it does not remove the struggle. Just because we might be filled with the with, with the fruits of the Spirit, that doesn't mean that we are going to be all of a sudden just miraculously taken out of this world and taken out of the trials that are in it. We will still have a need to utilize that which we are filled with. First Peter chapter two. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against your soul. It's not something that it's just, well, there's a little skirmish here and a little skirmish there. There's a little battle going on, but you just overcome that. You just practice a little bit of self-control and, and everything's going to be okay. What we see is that, that is a, it's an ongoing war. It's necessary for the, for the Christian to continue in motivation and continue moving towards that end of the, of the race, but it is necessary at all walks of life. And there will be times when it will seem difficult, and there will be times when we will feel like, hey, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, but that's where that self-control comes in. And it is a war that we continually fight over and over again, and we do so with the aid of, of the Spirit of God. So self-control is necessary to complement proper motivation. And without it, motivation alone will not succeed. But along with motivation and along with self-control, Paul brings up one more thing. He brings up the importance of exercise. And again, in the life of the athlete, exercise is impressively important in their lives. Long-distance runners, those that run, uh, we're not necessarily talking about the, the... You've seen bolts of the world that are just super, super fast, these guys that will run for way long distances, run these marathons, and it's just are mind-blowing to me how somebody could run that long. But they train for that daily, running 10, 15, 20 miles a day. Swimmers who swim competitively oftentimes swim up to 10 miles every day to be competitive. Gymnasts work out eight to nine hours a day. This exercise is essential to, to their, their sports and to the regime that they are involved in to be competitive, to, to be in, able to endure the hardships of the competition. You know, those runners that if they didn't run that, those mileages every day, and they get out to the race and they say, All right, we're ready to go. And they're all warmed up and they take off. And after one or two miles, their hamstrings are burning and their, their quads are feel like they're just stretching apart. And they say, I'm done. I'm a, I'm not running any more of this. This was crazy. It's important to endure the hardships of their competition. They they practice and they exercise over and over again so that they might gain the victory. And we see the same thing is true. For those who would gain the victory in Christ, there is a need for godly exercise. Look over in First Timothy chapter four. In First Timothy chapter four, and in verse eight says, "For bodily exercise, profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Have promise having promise of the life that now is, And that which is to come. It offers benefits uh, in godliness when we are exercising godliness in our lives. That offers benefits today in this world right now. It offers benefits in our life as we deal with those around us. Our co-workers, our friends, our family and our neighbors. But it also offers incredible benefits in the life that is to come. In the promise of the life of the future. But it's also, we see examples of good spiritual exercise strewn throughout the, the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we see an example of what, that might, what it might look like. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, a, a passage that oftentimes we, uh, many try to uh, make a, a memory verse for themselves. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Diligently, that's, a, that's an exercise that is done over and over and over again, spending time in the Word of God so that when it comes time to apply that, you can rightly divide it. You can, you can be able to use it in the way that it was intended to be used and, and not to twist it or not to distort it. Philippians chapter 4 talks about another way in which we exercise. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we talk about meditation, that's one of those things that people sometimes like to, oh no, there's, there's that word meditation. That's not something that the Christian should be involved in. That's, that's one of those kind of far out beliefs that come from another you know another philosophy but that we see examples throughout the scriptures of christians of of people of god that meditated they would go to god in times of worry in times of fear in times of great blessing they were constantly devoting their time To God they were meditating they were taking the 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 weights and the sorrows and the pains and even the joys and 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 the blessings of this world and they were glorifying God through that and giving that up to him and receiving the benefit that comes through that sort of exercise in our life and that is an exercise that we must be a part of when we're thinking about that we also see uh, in the very next verse of Philippians 4 in verse 8 that he tells us to do those things finally brethren Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These are the things that must fill our thoughts and our minds and that really should say a lot to us whenever we think about what is it that we allow to infiltrate our thoughts in our minds. As we're driving down the road, what kind of, what kind of music are we listening to uh, as we, we kind of are on autopilot driving around town? Whenever we're sitting at home and we're unwinding, we turn the TV on, what kind of images are we allowing to, to be presented into our minds? God tells us there are some things that we should be meditating on. And it shouldn't be the, the worldly and, and the, the, the terrible things that are oftentimes depicted uh, in many different facets, it's not just radio and television. We need to find things that are virtuous and things that are praiseworthy. We need to meditate upon those things. We need to love the brethren with sincerity. Romans chapter 12, he says in verses 9 and 10, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. This is an exercise in which we exercise godliness in our lives through the ways that we we treat one another, the ways that we show our love to one another, not just just making sure that we, we tell one another that we love you, but actually going the step further and demonstrating that love for one another in our lives. And then Romans 12, verses 11 through 13, also tells us to be diligent. Again, we find that word diligent. It's funny how that's come up several times. Verses 11 through 13, it tells us to be diligent in our service. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to love another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayers, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Certainly we can see through through Paul's writings and the writings of, of other men through the life of Christ that one who is engaged in such exercises, is a true spiritual athlete, one who is running a race with faith and certainty, as Paul calls it in in, in chapter 26. He says, I don't run this as, as one without uncertainty. So he's running it with certainty, with confidence in this race, and one who is fighting the good fight, a fight with a purpose. These efforts will not be in vain. These efforts, when accompanied by the right motivation, these efforts, when joined to with self-control, will result in the the participant in that athlete reaching the prize. So are you obtaining a prize? Is that your goal? Is that your motivation, the source of your self-control, the reason for your exercise? Are you running so that you may obtain it, as Paul says? It may be this afternoon that you have yet to begin to run that race. The outcome is guaranteed, One, there, there's, there's no, no veil of uncertainty over those who choose not to run. It is truly a sorrowful thought to, to know that so many will enter into eternity having, having never obtained salvation from their sins. But it is equally guaranteed, and again, without uncertainty, it is equally guaranteed for those who choose to run. For those who choose to set their eyes on the goal and to be motivated and have self-control and, have, and put in the exercise to submit themselves to the control of their king, of Jesus, and exercise obedience to his commands. That guarantee is yours. And you can have that guarantee today. Maybe those of you who have already begun the race, but, but hardships have come up and you've realized some of those hardships, some of these hurdles have been, have been difficult, have been hard, and have caused you to stumble or trip and fall or just slow down in your run, maybe take your eyes off the prize, maybe to look to the left or to the right at things going on around. I, I just wish that we would all take heart. I wish that we would all read this in the eyes that Paul had, had, had said it when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 58, said, My beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul saw the prize at the end. And he saw the guarantee that not just he, but all Christians who submitted their lives to Christ have that they will be able to reach that prize if they just don't give up. Keep that motivation. Keep that self-control. Keep that exercise. If there is some way that you need the help or the prayers of the saints here today, maybe it is to become a child of God, to begin your race today, or maybe it's because you, for for some reason, for some sin, has caused you to be separated from God. Won't you please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.